Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Sean Hackett. Sean, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing really good. Really, really good. Good deal. You had a cold front move through Florida there, huh? You got up to got down to 48 or something overnight. 48, but it's a 40 degree change from what it was yesterday. So from a differential standpoint, very, very big adjustment. And you know, 48 degrees, we don't get that a lot down here. So yeah. for us, you know, we're we're a little chilly this morning. Break out the park is getting cold in Florida. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right, Sean. A couple things. One, so today's Wednesday. We've uh First half of the week started out amazing. I mean, the markets were doing well. Corn was up overnight on Sunday, moving out through the day on um, Monday. And ever since then, it's just been kind of a trickle down, same as soybeans. So talk about that a little bit, what you see, some of the influences there are, and then what you see happen for the uh, remainder of the week. Well, I mean, I, I think that we have, you know, we have another USDA report coming out on Friday. And so the market always trying to guess what they're going to say. Are they going to increase South American production? It's always create some nervousness. We still do not have a date where President Trump's going to meet Premier uh, you know, Xi Jinping. And so until there's a date, there's a lot of nervousness that, you know, how long, you know, is it, you know, there's just a lot of nervous because there's been some, some premium built into grain prices that, you know, people want to make sure this is going to happen. And it looks like it is, but until that date is set and it's, there's a lot of nervousness out there. And I think of all the talk over the weekend, they still don't have a date. And so I think people are just really nervous because, you know, he went to, he went to the summit in North Korea. He was supposed to sign a deal. and He walked away. Everyone's scared to death. He might just pull a fast one, do the same thing with our trade deal. So I think until we set a date, the market's going to be on a defensive, um, especially heading into a USDA report. Yeah. All right. Plenty of stuff going on on that front. China has got uh, the market kind of wore down to the point where they're just kind of tired of it and over with it. And they're, they just need a resolution so they can move on one way or the other. So that's uh, that has been a big deal with that. So, all right, so let's jump over to one other thing here. So late, earlier this week, you sent out uh, you one of your white papers that you all do, and this one was on the uh, on on rice production and what you see happening there. So talk about that a little bit and that correlation to wheat. Well, uh, the two most important agricultural products to feed the world, half at least half the world, is wheat and rice. And so when rice gets too expensive, there's a quick substitution for wheat. And when wheat gets too expensive, there's a quick substitution for rice. And so throughout history, when you look at those two markets, when one starts to go, it leaves the other one and they have a highly they're highly correlated with each other. So, um, uh, so we know they both go together. And one of the key weather variables that has triggered big moves in both rice and wheat has been when El Nino produces a widespread drought in Asia. And we've done a lot of work on a lot of different weather variables, trying to find ones that really have a high correlation over history. And one that really pops up to us that we've done a lot of work on is what's called the Polar Eurasian Pattern Index. And essentially it's a measure of the, of the, of the cyclone, anti-cyclone activity of the Asian monsoon airflow. 
And when that index gets into a positive reading, uh, it, it tends to produce uh, widespread droughts in North China. There's a 95% correlation that when you have that index in positive territory over the summer, you have a drought in North China. It's amazing how reliable it is. But more importantly, when that happens, when you have an El Nino, it not only means drought in North China, it means widespread drought over the entire Asian region, meaning Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, you know, the Philippines, uh, India. It, it, and the last time that we had this combination between these two uh, factors was in 2002, which by far to this day was the worst widespread Asian drought we've had since. And if you look back at price charts of wheat and rice, they set their lows during that year, and they have never retested those lows. And actually, that began a, a wild bull market in those markets and a wild bull market for grain. So we feel this rare combination is going to set off um, rice and wheat probably leading the charge and having the other grain markets follow suit thereafter. And so we're pretty um, not excited about high prices for those that need it, but we're pretty excited that this might get our markets going again as we move into the spring and summer when that kind of a weather pattern would take more of a center stage. Yeah. Okay, so that would be a would be a good test for the uh, for the overall market because there would be some pretty good. That's uh, what I'm looking for here. They'd have a good chance to have some other grains follow along with it, right? So I mean, if we took off and started being have having creating good support for corn and 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 beans and those kind of things, there would be a, a pretty much a cascade up across the markets, correct? Correct. I mean, you don't you're not going to get wheat and rice taking off. Uh, and and, th- and have soybeans and corn just hanging out, doing nothing. They'll, they'll follow along. It may take a little while. Maybe, maybe it'll be somewhat of a delay, but they will start following along. And then, the, and then what happens is everyone who's been bearish for so long and only looked at the bearish variables in the market and ignored the bullish variables in the market, then those bullish variables pop up to the surface. And everyone says, oh, my gosh, look how tight it is. And, oh my, you know, and everyone starts to realize that you know, maybe we've been a little bit over, over the top bearish our own good and maybe prices are uh you know setting a long-term bottom and then buyers who've been sitting back complacent buying hand to mouth you know trying to just you know buy as little as they can because that's been the winning strategy right for many many years start saying oh my gosh i better get extra coverage i better get my needs bought for more than the next couple of months i better get it for the next one to two years and you get a firestorm of demand that's been waiting there for years to come on in and that sets off the bull and then the speculators come on in with all the money they have and, and have a field day. And that's kind of what I think could trigger this. Yep. What would be the, uh, what would be the overall effect of, of the rice production we've seen now happen in, uh, in the South, especially with the issues that we're having down there with weather, there's going to have to be some planning delays that have co- that'll come up with the rice uh, production this year. So talk about that a little bit and how that weather market is going to play into what we see happening. Long grain, long grain rice is primarily grown in East Texas, Arkansas and the deep South uh, states and when you look at the soil match, uh, soil moisture uh, saturation index, we're at the 99 percentile in that region. What that means is, since 1916, this is the wettest it has ever been in that region since 1916. Um, and so w- the reality is, we don't have an example like this. We've never had it be this wet before. And the, when we look out over the forecast for the remaining part of March. The heaviest rains are continued to forecast in this exact area through the better part of March. So it means that these 
saturated soil moisture levels are not going away. And you know, they start planting rice in the deep south in a few weeks, or at least they, that's when they would like to plant it. So we think there could be huge problems of delayed planting, um, replanting, and maybe some of the acres just not getting planted. And so we're very concerned that U.S. rice acres and rice uh, production could be under pressure this year because of this very, very unusual uh, one in 100 year kind of scenario that we see right now. Right. All right. So one last thing, you look at the weather that we see now across the, uh, the Corn Belt in the South and, and you know, pretty much the primarily the, the largest growing part of the United States. Um, we're supposed to get another five or eight inches of snow here this weekend. That's supposed to stretch all the way across uh, to, I think, the middle of Iowa or Illinois, one or two. I mean, when's it going to end so we can get some field work done? I mean, there's just a lot of that. That's got to be a, that's got to start creeping into the minds of traders right now. It is. And we made a point on your, on a couple of your last uh, podcast uh, interviews that um, we thought by mid-March, the market would have to be able to, uh, would have to start reacting to this. Remember, it's not only the deep South that has these 99 percentile moisture levels. It's all the way into Iowa, Illinois, and East. And when we look at the heaviest of the rainfall, that region continues to get it. And as you said, the record snowpack in the north is going to continue to get worse. So there's two things here, flooding due to rain continuing, and then eventually, eventually it's going to warm up. And we're going to get this massive snow melt that's going to occur when saturated soils and added a secondary period of flooding. And so you asked the question, when do we think this is finally going to end? Unfortunately, you know, we don't see... Uh, the cold, wet temperatures ending until probably late April um, before we really could see maybe temperatures warming up, maybe things drying out and, and finally giving farmers a possibly a chance. But between now and late April, we think it's going to remain cold. There's going to be a lot more moisture, some more snowfall. And um, it's just going to, it's not going to be just a problem for rice, but it's going to be a problem for most ag markets in terms of, you know, when do they get, how long does it take to get it in the ground? What conditions uh, do they are they forced to get it in the ground? Will they just not plant it? Take prevent plant this year? We just think it's that you know we rarely rarely ever think that we're going to have a weather market over planting season. But quite frankly, we've never had this situation in our knowledge before, and we have no analog to go by. This is a one in one hundred year scenario, and maybe everything will work out. But if there was ever a year for planting to cause issues and and, and, and problems for production in the U.S., this would be the year. And so we'd have to believe the market would be willing to put some fairly significant weather premium to guard against the what if on that scenario. All right. Okay. All right, Sean. Well, that's good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions or just uh, pick your brain about some of the market stuff that's going on. How would they do that? Um, you know, the best thing is our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information there. Um, you know, or email or, or phone number they can call um, and to see if what we do uh, might be of, of service to them during a time when they might need some really good advice to get through this tough patch. So, right on. All right, Sean. Well, good stuff as usual. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Till then, have a good rest of this one. We'll talk to you then, bud. Sounds great, Mr. Casey. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum.
Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Topsoil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.